The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM, Fight Nation, Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I talk about the Viceland wrestling documentary series, Dark Side of the Ring, and their look at the infamous Montreal Screwjob. We discuss what the documentary reveals about the situation that we didn't know, why some believe the entire situation was a work, and we speak to the man who was in the middle of it all, former WWE referee Earl Hebner. Right off the bat, your initial thoughts, your initial feelings. Did you like it? I did. I liked it very much, actually. Why? I just, it's something that's always been fascinating to me, and it's been talked about over and over again. I mean, there's been movies about it. There's been DVDs about it. You know, in the past, we've talked about it. And still, after all of that, when you think you have all the information and you know everything... Watching that 60-minute Dark Side of the Ring last night, there is still more things that come out that I had no idea about. What was the one or two things that came out last night on Dark Side of the Ring that you did not know about from the past 20 years? Uh, Jim Cornette's involvement in it. That I, that I did not know. Him coming up with the idea, right? Yeah. I mean, well, according to Jim Cornette, obviously Vince Russo has other ideas and that fits into the whole relationship between the two. But um, I didn't know about Jim Cornette's, uh, I, I, had, I had no idea until I saw the documentary last night. Well, knowing that Jim Cornette is a wrestling historian, I mean, he took, he took the cameras into his house. You saw all the old posters, all the old magazines, and I can tell you from from speaking with Jim one on one that he is a he is a fountain of knowledge he's basically the wikipedia of pro wrestling if anybody's going to know about a 1931 screw job that happened in Montreal it's going to be Jim Cornette now now what i know about Vince Russo and being a northeast guy i'm not quite positive he would know about something like that and unless the idea came to him organically um, I'm not quite sure, but as of this morning, watching last night, I'm betting a dollar that this was Cornette's idea. Yeah, and and like obviously Jim Cornette mentioned it, but Ed Destranger Lewis, you know, losing his championship because of something that happened actually before they even hit the ring, and that you're you're going back years and years, decades when that screw job happened, and you know, then you have Vince Russo saying that he never heard that, he didn't hear that being brought up that he actually came up with the idea, not going back into time or coming up with things that happened in the history of pro wrestling, but just saying, hey, you know what? Shawn Michaels should put you know, the sharpshooter on Bret Hart and then have the referee ring the bell, making it pretty simple. And who knows? Maybe he was thinking it and didn't say it, or maybe like Vince Russo said, maybe he got up to use the bathroom. Who knows? But 
it, hearing both sides, and this is a tough question, Bully, but hearing Vince Russo, somebody who's been a guest on this show and somebody you've worked with in the past, and then Jim Cornette, who's been on this show several times, who do you think in that situation is telling the truth? Uh, I have to go with Cornette. Just the whole ending about, you know, I swear on my mother, I swear on my life, my my wife, my dog. Yep. And just knowing his history. Now, maybe there's a little confusion, you know, with that actual night in question when they were sitting down in Vince's backyard and it was just the three of them talking. Maybe it was Vince Russo who suggested that we should screw over Bret Hart and then... Cornette came up with the actual scenario in which to screw him over. Maybe it was a, a mincing of both True. ideas. I mean, and 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 that's a possibility. I, I'm with you. I kind of lean towards Cornette, and the reason why is not just about swearing on the life of, of of his wife and his dog and everything else, but just the reaction that he remembers that Vince McMahon had. Like, he brought that scenario up, and Vince McMahon, he actually remembers, like, the sigh Vince McMahon gave after that came out of Cornette's mouth, and he kind of dismissed it, and then didn't think anything about it until the actual day of the screw job at Survivor Series when it was happening, and he was like, oh my god, like, they're actually going through with it. I thought that whole thing and his recollections were absolutely fascinating. Jim Cornette came off as extremely credible, extremely knowledgeable last night. Uh, I enjoyed the documentary very much. I also enjoyed the documentary about Macho Man and Liz. I'm looking forward to the one next week on Bruiser Brody. I think Viceland's doing a really great job with these stories that we've already heard for many, many years. Yes. Putting a new spin on it, putting their putting their stamp on it, you know, presenting it in a way where it seems a lot more interesting. Um, I was shocked, though, about how they went off the air. We're talking for about 55 minutes about the Montreal Screwjob. We're talking about Bret Hart. We're talking about Shawn Michaels. We're talking about Earl Hebner. We're talking about Vince McMahon. But it seems like the last five minutes of the movie came, you know, came down to a Vince uh, Russo-Jim Cornette pissing match mm-hmm. in which Jim Cornette completely uh, verbally eviscerates Vince Russo. Yeah, I don't I was I thought that was curious as well. Like to have it end with Jim Cornette saying he wants to piss on Vince Russo's grave. Like, all right, if this if this was about the relationship between Jim Cornette and Vince Russo, that's a pretty good way to end the documentary. But that's not what this was about. As a matter of fact, the Vince Russo Jim Cornette was a really good turn in the story, but that's not the way it should have ended. I'm surprised it didn't end going further in. Actually, it should have ended this way. It should have said how the road went with the WWF and how the road went with WCW, meaning what was the future then with Shawn Michaels in the WWF and then Bret Hart in WCW. I think that would have been a better way to end that 60-minute documentary. Sure. The the way they went off the air, um, to me, was a little... uh tasteless and i'm not talking about jim Cornette because i expect to hear those things from jim Cornette when he's speaking about venture so i've heard those words come out of jim Cornette's mouth before it's no uh you know it's no surprise that Cornette does not like russo 
I mean, Russo had to get a damn restraining order against him. Um, but for Viceland to make the conscious effort to go off on that, it's almost like Viceland decided that they wanted to bury Vince Russo also. And I'm not quite sure why they did that. And it did leave a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. It's it's funny. It's almost that, like they were trying to stir shit up again between the two. It's it's funny you said that because I didn't get it that it was one-sided or not. Because, you know, just before Cornette's final statement, Vince Russo had one as well. Where Vince Russo was like, you know, this... I, it, it's over. Like it, this is it's it, it hit an end point, and he still keeps on going. He won't let it go. Like it's pro wrestling. Like I don't understand this hate that he has towards me, and that it just keeps coming and coming. Like Vince Russo almost came across like you feel bad for him. Like all right, this is something you know from going back fifteen, twenty years. Enough already. Maybe it's time to move on. And Jim Cornette is somebody that just won't let it go. And then it ends with Jim Cornette saying he wants to piss on his grave. So there's two ways you could take it. Yes, you could take it as a burial of Vince Russo, or you can look at it like, wow, Vince Russo really does have have a point. This guy wants to move on, and Jim Cornette just won't let it go. But again, whatever side you take in that scenario, that's not the way that this should end because it should be about the Montreal screw job and that night in November. That's what the 60 Minutes is supposed to be about. And speaking of whose side you're on, let's flip to the to the A story here between Brett and Vince. Whose side are you on? Now that you've heard the stories again told by different players, mm-hmm. who who's right and who's wrong? Well, it, it's 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 a great question. I think this is going to be the underlining question, bully, throughout the show that 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 I want the nation to get involved in as well. At 877-344-4893, 877-FIGHT93, because I'm curious to hear from the Busted Open Nation. But to answer your question, I'm firmly on the side of Vince McMahon. And and it's funny that during that period, I was a Brett guy and not a Sean guy at all. Uh, definitely behind Bret Hart. But hearing what happened and knowing the facts after and what took place and everything else. Like I really do have to side with Vince McMahon on this. I I think Bret Hart was wrong. I have to agree with you and saying Bret Hart was wrong. Sounds harsh. Um, There's everything that Vince presents as his side of the argument is legitimately true when it comes to the quote-unquote time-honored tradition of the wrestling business. And what I learned last night was that there was a plethora of ideas presented to Bret Hart Mm -hmm. in which we could do this in a very amicable way where everybody looks good. But every single way had Bret losing to Sean. Vince could not take the risk of Bret Hart winning and then possibly not showing up the next night on Raw. And it was very, very evident in the show last night that it wasn't that Vince didn't trust Bret. Vince didn't trust Eric. And and I'm going to dive deeper into that. If Bret Hart, if Vince was to allow Bret Hart 
to beat Shawn Michaels and walk out of Montreal as the WWF champion, there's a good time. There's a good chance that in the time Brett leaves the building until he would have to show up to Raw the next night, that he would get a phone call from Eric Bischoff saying, show up on Nitro. I'll give you a million dollars to show up with the belt, dump the belt in the garbage. And that's why Vince didn't trust Eric. I think Vince trusted Brett. That's my take. And, and you know what? We talk about the history and the history of screw jobs. It actually happened in reverse, what, five, six, seven years before that with Ric Flair. Ric Flair left the NWA with the big gold belt, and he showed up on WWF television. I mean, he wouldn't. They, he, uh, they wanted him to drop the title. He wouldn't do it. There was contracts. There was money. You know, everything else. And Ric Flair wouldn't do it. Ric Flair went to the WWF with that gold belt. The precedent is set. If Ric Flair will leave with his gold belt and come here, why you know why wouldn't Bret Hart do the same? And oh, by the way, wait, I think this happened much later. But oh, by the way, Alundra Blaze. Yeah, I mean, I, but with Ric Flair was it was a little bit different because in the in the in the war with WCW and Ric Flair, I think everybody would would lean towards the side of Ric Flair because Ric Flair was trying to do business. Uh, Jim Hurd just wasn't hearing it, so you can, it, it's a little bit more understandable. But that's devastating when you're seeing your championship belt on a different show, and Ric Flair is coming out saying, "I'm the real world champion," holding that big gold belt on WWF television. So, you know, like you said, the president was set. So Vince McMahon didn't want that same thing. And it's and, and it was crazy. And this is a lot of what I liked about the dark side of the ring last night, Bully. And the fact that I thought Bruce Pritchard came off really, really well. Because Bruce Pritchard's like, you know, hey, this is pro wrestling. He was given that belt. You know, he didn't beat Ric Flair to win that championship. You know, he was told he was going to beat Ric Flair to win that championship. And maybe he took it just a little bit too serious. And like you said, hey, on your way out, you're supposed to do what's best for business on your way out. And Jim Cornette even said it too. Like when you you were mentioning, Bully, about they're coming up with all these different scenarios on how he can lose that match and he's declining. And then Bret Hart's idea is like, I'll just give up the championship. But like, but like, what like Jim Cornette said? Of course, of course, he wants to do that. Right. Of course, he doesn't want to lose. That's that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? On the way out, you're supposed to put somebody over, whoever and- that next guy is supposed to be. And in this scenario, Shawn Michaels. And that's the, that's the thing. I don't think that Bret Hart would have had a problem losing in Canada. I just think that Bret Hart had a problem losing in Canada to Shawn Michaels. Yes. He did, he did not like him. He did not respect him. He didn't think that he was the hero that people needed in the WWF. But at the end of the day, you're correct, and Vince is correct, and Bruce is correct, and I've experienced it firsthand myself. When you are leaving, you do the favor. You're not going to be around to invest in anymore. It's time for you to give whatever credibility you had to someone else. You know, we we, we talked about um, we we talked about Roman Reigns before Taker 
decided to come back for a last match, the one he had with Cena. Mm-hmm. We talked for about a year that Roman Reigns could always say that he retired The Undertaker, correct, Dave? Yes. And that's that's what you want. That's the bullet you want in your chamber. So Shawn Michaels would have always been able to say that he beat Bret Hart, and I don't think Bret Hart was willing to live with that. Yeah, and, and, and I just think that, and you mentioned the, the, the Canada thing, and that's something that's been mentioned as well. He didn't want to lose in Canada. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch, Bully. I mean, I, I understand. Maybe I can, I can understand it if it was in Calgary, and he wouldn't want to lose in Calgary. It's in freaking Montreal. You know what I'm saying? That would be like I'm a Jersey guy. I love Jersey, and and me saying, you know what? I don't I don't want to lose in Connecticut. I mean, it's 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 a bit of a stretch. I mean, come on. Totally understand. I am am I wrong on that? And and I and that when we when we have these discussions, a lot of people say the same thing. Well, you know, he's a Canadian hero. Why should he lose in Canada? Well, that's where the pay per view. Is supposed to be. That's the last pay-per-view before Bret Hart was leaving for WCW. It's not intentional. It's just the way that it happened. I, 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 in in any situation you bring up, it's really hard, bully, for me to take the side of Bret Hart over Vince McMahon. And watching that show last night for one hour, I found myself feeling very sorry for someone. And that someone was Earl Hebner. Yeah. And we're going to have Earl Ebner on the show in, uh, in about an hour or so. <clears throat> I've known Earl Hebner a long time, spent about 10 years with him in TNA, have spoken to him about the Montreal screw job. But after watching last night's show, I think I have some more questions for him. The Busted Open Podcast. Courtesy of Dark Side of Ring. Let's hear what Earl had to say about the Montreal Screwjob. Like, I remember walking out to the ring, and I knew, like, okay, be leery of um, submission holds in a match like this. But I already talked to Earl, and I thought about it, and it's like, I said, okay. I trusted Earl, and so I put my guard down. That was that was my um, fatal mistake. I'm walking down to go to the ring, and I'm getting pulled aside. And Jerry Briscoe says, Vince McMahon wants you to ring the bell when he puts Brett in the sharpshooter. I said, what? He said, well, are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. Jerry Briscoe is a producer agent, one of the toughest son bitches on the face of the earth. He grabs me by the arm. He says, is Brett Hart going to pay you? This is what Vince wants. Do you want a job or not? I said, I don't have an idea of what I'm going to do right now. Y'all messed my mind up. And this is the truth. I'm thinking he had opportunity to drop the bill. I know this is not right, but I gotta have a job. I told my brother to put all my shit in the car. This ain't gonna look good, get all my shit out the dresser and put it in the car. So I'm walking to the ring. God, I promised Brett I wouldn't count him out. That was the longest walk of my life. Wow. And and think of that. And you asked the question, bully, about what would you do? I mean, here's Earl Hepner promising Bret Hart that hey, you know, you don't have to worry about me. I'm not gonna do anything to screw you. And then just as you're walking to the ring to do your job, Gerald Briscoe pulls you aside and saying that you're going to have to screw Bret Hart in this situation, or you're fired. Basically, putting your job on the line, that's a tough position to put somebody in. 
Dave, you know how I joke around with you sometimes and I tell you, if you had a gun to your head and a pencil in your hand? Yep. Earl Abner had a gun to his head that night. Sure did. That's as, that's as close to a gun to your head in the wrestling business as you get. If you don't do this for the boss, you will be fired. And Earl had a family. But he was also friends with Brett, and he gave Brett his word on the plane that he wouldn't do anything. So now it comes down to his word as a man versus feeding his family. And I think Earl did what he had to do. And I think years and years later, Brett accepts that and understands that, that no matter what, even though Earl gave him his word, he had to do what he had to do and didn't want to do it. And I know from speaking with Earl over the years that he didn't want to do it. And I think we're going to hear from him those exact words when he comes on later. Very, very tough situation. Very tough. And and you're right. If if he found out about it an hour, two hours before, then maybe he can have a discussion with Vince McMahon. And obviously, that's a big reason, I'm sure, why Vince McMahon was as close to the ring as he was at that point. Because he wasn't sure what Earl was going to do. It's, it's he, a, wanted, he wanted to make sure that if Earl did not follow through on the plan, that he could ring the bell himself. Yes. God, it's 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 just a crazy, crazy situation. And I think another thing too that we learned from Dark Side of the Ring last night is the fact that Vince did trust Bret Hart, and he really did feel, even though they were so close to the match. That at the end of the day, Brett was going to do what was right. That's why I think there was, I think that was the the overlining theme during this whole thing, all the way leading up. That it, I think Vince McMahon really thought in his heart that as it got closer, that probably Bret Hart was going to do the right thing. And that's why I think he blew Jim Cornette off when Cornette gave him the idea. I think he blew him off for two reasons. I think he blew him off because he, in his heart, Vince thought he was going to get Brett to be able to do business. But I also think that Vince realized that it was an actual good idea, and now he had one left, one one bullet left in his chamber. But he wasn't going to smarten up Jr. and he wasn't going to smarten up anybody else because if he smartens everybody up, then everybody is in on it, and if everybody is in on it, two things happen. The, the the shock and awe of the situation might get leaked out. And if other people know, they are now guilty by association and their accomplices. So in a weird way, Vince was trying to protect everybody. Briscoe knew. Earl Hebner knew. Shawn Michaels knew. Who else knew? I mean, going into what we saw last night, this is what I thought. And obviously that's changed after watching the documentary. And, and you know, we've heard Bret Hart talk about this. We've heard Shawn Michaels talk about it. And it was too bad that they we didn't have Shawn Michaels on the documentary last night. God, it would have been great to hear from Vince McMahon, though. That's never going to happen. Right. But as far as I knew, the only people that knew what was going to happen was, was Earl Hepner. Gerald Briscoe, Shawn Michaels, Vince McMahon, and Triple H. Those were thought, going into the documentary last night, those are the only players that I knew had any understanding of what was going to happen. Now, did I miss something last night? Because I didn't know that Triple H was in on this. No, I mean, that I that I learned from, that wasn't talked about last night, 
But that's something that Shawn Michaels has said in the documentary that they did on the that the WWE did on the Montreal Screwjob. It was it was a discussion and it was moderated by Jim Ross between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. It was right after um, they reconciled on Monday Night Raw. They did a, a sit-down together. And I th- I'm pretty sure you could see that on the WWE Network, though there is definitely a DVD. And Shawn Michaels mentions that Triple H knew. Gotcha. Okay. And, you know, th- other than that, it's really like, even though there was interviews, and, and they mentioned that, t- it's funny that Jim Cornette said, you know, when he pitched the idea for the exact same scenario that went down, he's like, you know, what is Bret Hart going to do? What he, you know, he's all, you know, this is a, the family tradition. You know, what is he going to do? Uh, you know, is he going to expose the business? Is he going to go to the press? And really, after that took place, that's exactly what Bret Hart did. Bret Hart did go to any media outlet at that time that would speak to him, and he completely exposed the business. Well, he needed vindication, and he didn't know what else to do. And I don't think I think that clearing his name was a lot more important to him than exposing the business. It would have been very easy to just I mean, looking back on it 20 years later, it would have been very easy to just get your bags, throw them in the car and head south to WCW and never mention it again. Right. Yeah. When you're talking about a man with that much pride in his hometown with his mom and dad around. I mean, I don't know if was Stu around at that time. Stu is still, still, Stu is still with us at that yeah. time. Yeah, right, so that was a rough situation. Ego and pride came into play in that one, because listen, no, t- take Shawn Michaels out of the equation. No matter who it is, Brett should do the favor on the way out. And a traditionalist like Bret Hart, somebody who came up like Bret Hart um, in the Hart family and bred in the dungeon, knows these things. So years and years and years of this die-hard wrestling 101 education of, of how we go about things in the wrestling business, how we protect kayfabe, how we show respect to one another, how we respect the industry, what we do when we come in, what we do when we leave, all of this stuff that he had been taught from a young boy got thrown out the door. Because of ego and jealousy. And no, no, I'm going to step back. I'm going to say more ego than anything else, not jealous. I don't think Brett was jealous of Shawn Michaels. Brett didn't respect him, didn't like him, didn't like what he represented. He's like, I can't do this. I can't look at myself in the mirror. I can't look at my father knowing that this guy has basically spit on my family. And now I'm going to go lay down to him. There was a couple of things from the show last night that bothered me. And I really think that they didn't do a good job explaining that. I I thought we'd have a chance to kind of talk about here, Bully. And one was uh, Scott Hall. And courtesy of Dark Side of the Ring, let's listen in to what Scott Hall had to say last night. To me, I feel the same way now seeing back as I did the first time I thought, saw it as a total work. Everybody was in on it, and they all did it together. Now look at Brett's face. He doesn't look too shocked to me. You're going to spit on Vince, and then the, the truck is going to go tight on Vince, go tight on Vince, get Vince wiping the loogie out of his eye. Vince has been in the TV business his whole life. 
Nothing's gonna happen without his consent. Everybody knows you're leaving. You're gonna stand in what's now your opposition's ring on a global broadcast, and you're gonna motion the call signs of your competitor? If that's not okayed by a big boss, in my mind, they're gonna cut away from that. I mean, I've never discussed it with Sean. You know, I wasn't there, and I didn't ask guys who were there. Watching it as an educated fan, I would say it was a complete collaboration by all parties. And that's all I got to say about that. All right, Scott Hall's wrong. And I'm not saying that he's wrong for his opinion. If he thinks it was a work, then he thinks it was a work. But the reasons he gave last night are completely wrong, Bully. And he talked about the camera angles and the close-ups. If you watch that pay-per-view like I did, it, it's etched in my brain. And we actually, Alex Metz and I went back on the WWE Network and watched the the main event again. And, I, and it's just as I recalled it. Like, that pay-per-view ended pretty much 30 seconds after the end of that bell when you, when you heard that final bell to end the match. You do see Bret Hart spit, but they did not put a close-up on Vince McMahon's face. That did not happen. That scene that they showed last night, that was from the documentary Wrestling with Shadows. That was not from the pay-per-view. And also, if you watch the pay-per-view, you did not see... Uh, Bret Hart do the WCW. You did not see him smashing monitors or anything like that. That did not happen on camera during that pay-per-view. If you were watching that pay-per-view, there was the sharpshooter, there was the bell ringing, and you saw Shawn Michaels leave the ring and walk up the entrance ramp. That's all you saw. As a matter of fact, once that bell rang and you saw him spit, you never saw Bret Hart again. They had the camera focused on Shawn Michaels and that championship title. So all those things that Scott Hall was talking about and the close-ups and the cut-ins and all that, none of that took place on the pay-per-view itself. And that's how conspiracy theories start. Right there. How long has Kevin Dunn been working for Vince McMahon? Decades and decades. Kevin Dunn and Vince McMahon are childhood friends. Kevin Dunn is the right-hand man of Vince McMahon. If we looked at this in a biblical sense, Kevin Dunn sits at the right hand of Vince McMahon. There's no way Kevin Dunn is showing his best friend and boss getting spit on and then giving a close-up. There's no way that Kevin Dunn is allowing anybody to stay on Bret Hart while he does the giant WCW letters. Obviously, the Wrestling with Shadows people picked this up. So that's what kind of the gray area that, that those moments in time get lost in. I can understand why Scott Hall would think that and have that conspiracy theory, but maybe nobody's ever smartened him up to the fact that those weren't the WWF cameras. And am I really to believe that as close as Scott Hall and Shawn Michaels and the rest of the clique are and were, that Scott never asked Shawn or Hunter or Kevin or X-Pac what really went on? Yeah, I find Isn't that, that hard Isn't that a little far-fetched? I find that hard to believe. I mean, Dave, we're not as close as those five guys are because those guys spent, you know... Uh, an ungodly amount of time on the road together, but we're friends. If something happened to you, 
similar. If you, if somebody at, at the station spit in your face or you spit in their face or anything like that, I'm sure I'd ask you about it. Yeah, right? you would be. I'm sure maybe you might wait till the next day. Yeah. You know, maybe that would probably be it. But you would probably call me like, "Hey, Dave, are you okay? Like, what the hell happened there?" And I'm yeah. sure that conversation, I'm sure Scott Hall called Shawn Michaels the next day and was like, hey, man, what the hell happened last night? Crazy. Crazy. And then, you know, you see you see Bret Hart being a gentleman and being chivalrous and going up to Shawn and saying thanks for the match. Shawn breaks down in tears. Um, I, I think in that moment, maybe Shawn realizes it wasn't the, the right way to go about things. You know what else I found interesting? If it wasn't for Undertaker, do you think Vince McMahon would have went into Bret Hart's dressing room? I know it's a, it's a, it's great. It's it's it sounded like you had the Undertaker get you know get angry and upset about it, and then Bruce Pritchard going up to Vince McMahon saying, "Hey man, you're you're gonna have to go up to him. You're gonna have to explain yourself, and you're probably gonna have to take a punch." And that's it. You're gonna have to take a shot. You're gonna have to let let him lay you out. The only thing that seemed weird to me is when uh, Brett said he caught Vince with a Mike Tyson-esque uppercut. I I was assuming that he meant he caught Vince under the jaw. But I guess he caught Vince in the eye because Vince had that giant black eye when he did the sit-down with JR. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He had he had a he had one. And in that sit-down too, they showed that extra footage in the sit-down that uh, Vince McMahon had with Jr., but that was well after the, that was after the fact. That was a week later on Monday Night Raw. Two weeks later, it's two weeks later after you know on Monday Night Raw, and that was when already Bret Hart was already gone. So amazing stuff, and the fact that we are still talking about it twenty two years yeah. later. Twenty two. I have to say twenty two because this. Douche nozzle Matthew Ross on Twitter is like, oh, they're getting their facts wrong. It's 22 years later, not 20. We said over 20. twenty. As I, last I checked, 22 years is over 20 years. People are such schmucks sometimes. Yeah, so 22 years later. Uh, the other thing, too, I wanted to mention was about Eric Bischoff. And, you know, they kind of put a, a bad light on Eric Bischoff as far as the use of Bret Hart. Let's not forget, Bret Hart had a no-compete clause, so he could not go in the ring and actually wrestle with WCW until that was finished. But at the same time, WCW wanted to strike while the iron was hot. Nobody was hotter than Bret Hart at that time. So coming up was their biggest pay-per-view of the year, which was Starcade. So if they're, if you're not going to use Bret Hart and you can't have him wrestle, you probably want to use him in some capacity, and that's why they made him a special guest referee in the match with Bischoff and Larry Zbysko, and then you saw Bret Hart later, you know, get involved in the Hogan Sting match as well. Like, I, I, you can't blame Eric Bischoff for that because that's a that's a tough position to be in. Do you wait and hold off and use Bret Hart, you know, a few months down the road? Or do you use it right away while people still have that image in their head and strike while the iron's hot? It's it's a tough decision. Now, ultimately, maybe it was the wrong decision, but I don't think you can blame Eric Bischoff for using Bret Hart the way he did. Heat of the moment just grabbed WWF's biggest star in a major war with the WWF. Everything at that moment in time points to Let's get Brett on TV ASAP in the biggest role we possibly can. 
I bet you if you asked Eric Bischoff now, he'd say, I would have waited. Bret Hart is a wrestler. That's what he does. I would have waited the, the amount of time and then built up to, to Bret Hart's first match in WCW. And the other just, th- just my, just my, th- and this is real Monday morning quarterback here. Yeah, and Bischoff alluded to it, and and I think Scott Hall, in in a sense as well, you know, and and knowing and watching it at the time with Bret Hart and WCW, you could tell his heart wasn't into it. Like you know, they could have done a million different things, but if he's not behind it and his heart's not in it, you know, he pretty much his his character died that night from in Montreal. I, I so no matter what they had planned for him in WCW, I just don't think he was ever going to be into it. He was a WWF soldier through and through, and when that happened to him, I think he just soured on the business. And here's the thing: he was created in the WWF. You know, he, he his dad made him a star in Stampede, and then Vince bought out Stampede, and in buying out Stampede, Brett got to come wrestle for the WWF. Got to tag with Jim the Anvil, Neidhart, the Hart Foundation. Great, great tag team. One of the greatest tag teams in the history of the WWF. Go on to that singles career. Become one of the most credible world champions ever. When all you know is the WWF. When you get to that outside world of pro wrestling, it is a giant smack in the face. Because you don't know any other way. And when you're in the WWF, WWE, they take care of you. You're coddled. You're, you know, they make sure that you have, you know, the best possible road life you can have. When you go to WCW, it's completely different now. And he didn't want to go. And he explained that too. Shock to the system. And he did not want to leave Bully, and he explained that too. He did not. He he was was gonna do. He tried to do anything to stay, and at that time they just couldn't afford him. And you know, you talk about Earl Hepner making the best decision for his family. That's what Bret Hart did as well. But he wanted it to be, in at least the relationship to end in a completely different way. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156 or on demand with the SiriusXM app. Our guest right now, Earl Hebner. Earl, how are you today? Great. How y'all doing? Good. And we appreciate you taking the time to talk about us. And and first off, and we're going to dive into a lot. There's no doubt about it. Um, what did you think of Dark Side of the Ring? Did you get a chance to watch it? And what are your thoughts? Oh yeah, I thought it was right good. I mean, it, you know, uh, it was uh, it was it was all truthful. Earl, how you doing, my friend? Hey, Bubba, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> good, good. Earl, I'm sure you shot a lot more than what we saw on TV. Um, Because everything, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things get edited. Was there anything that you had told them, any information or any stories that you hadn't told before that might might not have made it onto the show? Yeah, a lot of it didn't. (laughs) Really? But anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's why you're here today. Like, what, what, what stories were told that didn't make it on the show that you've never told anybody before? What parts of this puzzle do we not know about? Well, the thing was, they didn't put they didn't they didn't put what I told them 
from the time I got to the building to the time I left. And the whole deal boiled down to this, uh, like, uh, I flew to, Mont- I flew to, uh, to Canada with Brett on first class seat. He bought it for me. And he said, you won't count me out, will you? I said, no, keep your shoulders up. And <clears throat> then, uh, uh, we got to the building and nobody said nothing to me all day. Nothing about anything. Then about as soon as the next, next to the last match was over, I was walking to the gorilla position. Briscoe grabs me and pulls me to the side and says, uh, I got to talk to you. He said, Vince wants you to ring the bell when Sean puts, uh, but in the sharpshooter, I said, I don't know, man. And uh, he goes, what do you mean you don't know? He said, he's got a $3 million contract at WCW. Is he going to give you any of that money? And I go, well, I don't know. But I said, uh, why do y'all wait till now to tell me this crap? I said, uh, you had all day to tell me. He said, well, everybody's bugged. And I said, well, he said, well, this is what Vince wants. Are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. I said, you'll find out when I get in the ring. And uh, it, it just went from there. And, you know, that was the longest walk to that ring for me that I'd ever taken in my life. And it was one of the uh, devastating matches that i ever done. And if I had it all to do over again, it wouldn't happen. But in, in one sense, I had to have a job. That's the whole thing. And then, you know, it was just... It was just horrible, but you guys can ask me anything you want. I'll be honest with you. I'll, I'll tell you whatever you want. Whatever questions you ask me, I, I'm I'm going to be telling the truth. And Earl and and Bully brought this up before we had you on. I mean, what a tough decision you had to make because Bret Hart is your friend. Uh, he finds you to be the ultimate professional and trusted you. But then somebody's you know almost saying, "Hey, you, either you do this or you lose your job." You have a family to think of. You know, you have right. kids. I mean, this is that, that's I, I mean, to be put in that position, I, I honest to God, I don't know what I would do. When did you realize you were going to go ahead and do it? Was did you did you do it without thinking? I mean, like you mentioned that walk to the ring. I mean, when did you finally decide to yourself that, you know, I'm I'm going to have to make this decision? Well, in all honesty, when you put him in the sharpshooter, that's when I did it, uh, uh, to be honest with you. Uh but here's the thing. If if you go back and look at the film, Vince was at ringside, Sergeant Slaughter was at ringside. And regardless of whether I rung the bell or not, the bell was going to ring by one of those two, mm-hmm. probably by Vince. So regardless of, of it not being done, it was going to be done one way or the other. We either with the referee or with Vince. So, Earl, that's- do you, Earl, do you think that Brett knew before the match, that Sean was going to put him in the sharpshooter? I've had my thoughts off and on for, what, 18, 19 years? And as the storyline goes and talks and talks, uh, I think both both of them do, to be honest with you. Why would you let a man put put him in your own finish? And, you know know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, what you're saying is that are, are you sharing Scott's Hall perspective on this? You think Brett no. was in on the work? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really do. Yeah. I'm not going to lie about it anymore. I've been, I've been trying to protect Brett. And, and I, but I can bet you 100%, 110% Shawn Michaels knew what was going on. 
Okay, yeah, we, we know that Sean knew what was going on, but you think that Brett knew that this was going to happen? Because my whole thing is, if they talked about the match beforehand and Sean said, I'm going to put you in the sharpshooter, shooter, wouldn't that have kind of, you know, woken up Brett to that's where the swerve was going to come? Yes. Yep. Uh, but... Bubba, you know, I have different uh, feelings uh, about he did know and he didn't know, to be honest with you. Uh, just like I said, just from the rumors for the last 18, 19 years, it's been, uh, it's almost been questionable in some sense that both of them did. And see, this is this, I mean, the mental anguish that you've must have gone through over the last 20 plus years. I mean, and, and you're saying you you probably have, there's times you thought Brett didn't know and times that you thought Brett did know because that's what right. happens when something's in the back of your mind. And, and I feel just talking to you now that I, I, I can't even fathom what you must have gone through the last 20 years <laughs> thinking about this. I'm, Seriously. I'm telling you, I caught hell. My last 20 years there was uh, hell. And when I went back to Canada to do the TVs, I was booed so bad. That Vince, when he did Canada TV, he took me off because I had so much heat with the fans that, you know, all they wanted to do was probably kill me. You know what I'm saying? Earl, when was the last time you've spoke with Vince? Uh, when I when I left, walked out at 2005. I haven't spoke to him at all again. And, and what was the last thing that you said to him, or he said to you? Uh, but, but, you know, it's been so long, honestly, God, uh, Johnny, Johnny Ace is the one that, uh, fired me. So I, and Vince said, you know, I never talked to Vince again. So I, I really can't rem- remember. I remember the, the meeting after the Montreal screwdriver the next day in Ottawa. I think it's Ottawa. If I can remember that right. But, uh, you know, he had that meeting. And uh, and it's the same thing I told the other guys that t- that did the uh, uh, show last night. I said um, Vince had a meeting, and and I'm sure you were there. I know you were there. And his 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 uh, remarks were: If anybody don't like what I did last night, let me know, and I can release you right now. I'll fire you, whatever. He said Earl did what I wanted him to do, and it's and I'm I called the shot. The shot. Earl, since the day you left there in 2005. Um, I think you put your balls on the line pretty, pretty well for for this situation. You were between a rock and a hard place. Your job and friendship, um, uh, you didn't know what to do. So my question is, being that you were in such a difficult situation, did Vince ever take care of you after you left? No, no, not at all. Not a dime. Not a dime. Not, nope, not a dime. And you know, bully. Uh, uh, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not bragging on myself, but I don't think that it was a referee in that building that day would have done that, other than my me. I really don't, you know. And all the bullshit I've done through the years and ruined my body and and everything. Uh, I, I, I just can't believe that Vince, Vince would disrespect me like that. You know, Earl, um, I said at the beginning of the show, when I was watching the documentary last night and I was watching it with, with Velvet, 
it, last night was the first time I actually felt bad for you. Like, I've spoke to you. We spent 10 years in TNA together. I've heard you tell me some of the stories. But the way it was told last night, and to see, like, the pain and anguish on your face, uh, I legitimately felt bad because this... This must be a, a, a tough, th- this, this is a lot of baggage for you to have to carry around. I, I think you're over it now, but it really must have been a rough, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Yep. i tell you what, Bully, I, I got over it about a year ago when Brett came to one of the shows that I was at. And he took me to the ring, me and my brother. And he put us over like no tomorrow. And uh, that just uh, it, that just opened my heart. You know what I mean? I mean, I've been walking around like somebody's going to shoot me anytime. You know, for eighteen, nineteen years. And when he when he made that speech and put me over in front of all those fans, it, it, it took so much relief and pressure off of me. It felt like I was living again. I'd have to walk down the street and look right or left and think somebody's going to get me. You know what I mean? Jeez. Or shoot me. Yeah, it's, it's it's haunted me for a long time, and you know we all have second thoughts, and 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 now I I, I wish to God I'd have just not done it. But uh, in one sense, I had to have a job, I had a family, uh, I got a handicapped daughter that requires a lot of uh, treatment and, and and medicine. And back then, you know, I didn't have all this kind of insurance that we have now for her, and and it, it was a, a a no winner for me. Period. Either way. And and it seems from what you were saying, Earl, that you really didn't need to be involved. If you think about it, with Sergeant Slaughter and Vince McMahon outside the ring, they could have just called for the bell, and you would have had the same outcome because it ended in controversy. Nobody knew what was going on. You, they could have just called for the bell, and that could have been mm-hmm. the end of it, and you didn't really need to be involved at all. Right, right. But, you know, I stopped and thought about that, too. Uh, I guess... They were waiting on me because if it would, I, I kind of feel like it wouldn't have been official loss for Brett if if it hadn't been for a referee ringing the bell. That's I kind of they I, I was basically a gopher, you know. And been, then there have been discussions over the years of uh, well, the referee didn't ring the bell, so he really didn't win the match. That that's that was my thoughts, but that bell was going to ring regardless. Earl, has anybody in the WWE, maybe talent relations or Shane, uh, has anybody reached out to you just to see how you were doing or maybe to apologize or or anything? Nobody. The only person that's ever called me back is uh, Tim White. And so he's, and, uh, you know, Tim and I were really good friends. And uh, he's, he's called me uh, probably... I don't know, 20 times since I left. And I, and I call him too, you know what I mean? But he's the only one I talk to. I don't talk to, I haven't talked to anybody up there. I would have thought the Undertaker would have called me. But, you know, I don't know, you know. I, I would have thought the good guys that respected me and the things I've done for them would have called me. Some of them, you know. But I don't know. You know, you know what this business is. No, no, I, I totally understand, and you're painting uh, one hell of a picture here, and uh, you know, I, I don't know how else to say this, but it almost seems like you've been ostracized by your family. Is that the way you feel? Mm, 
What, 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 what do you mean by that, Bob? I'm sorry. Uh, I, it, 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 it sounds like you, you feel bad that your family turned th- their back on you because the WWE oh. was your family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and you know what? It, it's and, and and I'm not sitting here crying the blues, okay? But when Vince f- fired me and my brother, that was the biggest lie that has ever been told in this business, as far as what we did. And the big deal about that was was Johnny Ace didn't like my brother, and then they used me for the Gopher, and then they end up getting rid of him, and it hurt him bad. It didn't bother. It it, it did bother me. But 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 I never gave Vince a hundred and ten percent. You know, he he called my brother in the middle of the night, day or whatever. I need you here. I need you there. My brother lived for this business, and now his health is so bad it's unreal. You guys wouldn't even know him if you saw him now. And that's what that's what that's the bitterness that I'm carrying with me till I die. That I hate Vince for that. It was no reason for that, and it was all a setup because of they wanted to use their WCW agents. That's my belief, and it always will be. Well, but, you know, I'm still making a living. I'm a smart guy. I'm I'm, I'm working for a construction company uh, that that I worked for his, his dad. That the guy that owns it, I, I worked for his dad when I first got out of high school. And 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 you know, I got benefits, and and, and I'm great, and, and I'm great. And it doesn't bother me that I uh, I'm not in the in the business like I was. I'm hitting this guy here, there when something pops up. But but you know. I, I really hate Vince the way he treated my brother. As far as me, I don't. I, I really don't give a crap. It's incredible because one of the questions I wanted to ask you about because you're in multiple pro wrestling Hall of Fames. I mean, you're somebody that I look at as a WWE Hall of Famer, and and I'm I'm guessing that's something that you're probably never going to be recognized for because of your relationship with the company and your relationship with Vince McMahon. Right. I would have thought uh, I would have been in the Hall of Fame too, but uh, you, you know, the, uh, my thoughts of that is is that uh, I'm not going to kiss anybody's butt to get in there. Uh, people that know me know who I am and what I did in this business, and I don't have to be in the Hall of Fame to be recognized for what I've done in the business. If they don't know me, then they don't need to know me. What What if somebody reached out to you? What if somebody, maybe it's Vince McMahon or maybe somebody else from the company, if somebody was to reach out to you and just to try to rectify this situation, would you be open for that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's just a, the whole thing is uh, just the main thing was it's just the way I was treated, and, and nobody call me or respect me uh, other than the bully and, and, and the good guys that, that I love. And I love a lot of guys and still in the business. But, uh, you know, I thought, uh, like Bully said, I would have gotten some respect from somebody. Thanks for listening. Catch us weekdays on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.